Look at this young man right here, helped her down the steps. Let's give it up for this young man. Parents teaching them right. Helped her. Have you ever seen that before? How old is that kid? Who's kid? Who's, oh, that's, oh, that's my, Imari. Oh, that's right. The wrestler. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, I don't want to waste too much time because I'm excited about this morning and uh, the brother that's going to be sharing today. And I just thought about this, uh, Bishop. The, um, you're the only person uh, that has preached at every church I've pastored at. For real. And from Charleston, Illinois, in the college church, uh, I, I met him one night. He was down there preaching at a church, and I went. My buddy said, man, you got to come hear this guy preach. And I said, oh, okay, you know, I've heard all of this before, you know. And I went out checking him out. I said, man, you got to come to our church tomorrow. He was like, bet. <laughs> I mean, he came to our church because we met later in the day. He was preaching that morning. He came to our church and just riled up all of our college folks. And then at, uh, when I was at the church on the north side, he came up there to Albany Park and preached up there. And then at All Nations, he shared a message. You never preached at Freedom Church, but then he's now preaching at Freedom Church Ministries. Some of you all will catch that later. Uh, too soon, too soon, Pastor, too soon. All right, I'm sorry about that. But uh, just an anointed man of God, call of God is on his life. He travels all throughout the country, throughout the world, really sharing this gospel message has a, a, a fantastic gift at communicating the word of God and a spirit of revelation is upon this brother. So I just want to give a wonderful, I told him everybody stands usually and cheers when I come up to preach. So let, let's give him a Freedom Church welcome to Bishop Jamie Englehart. All right, Bishop, bless you, man. Bring it. All right, man. Thank you. You can be seated. <laughs> it really is awesome being here for the first time at uh, Freedom Church, and uh, I have enjoyed every time. In fact, I think that that first time down in Charleston, I think I'd, uh, I can't remember, have you guys just got married? Or you were dating? It was, I know it was, it was maybe, maybe that first time, I don't know, but could have been and uh, had a word about ministry for them and, and ministered and and uh, it is always a privilege uh, now to see what God has done is just awesome just to know I had just a just a little at least a little itty bitty part of that and that really is a privilege also since I was with many of you as many of you have not seen me before since I was with you the last time I think when I was with you before my daughter was expecting and I am now a full-blown grandpa, amen, and having an absolute blast. She is spoilt. She ain't spoiled. She's spoilt. She is spoiled rotten. Of it. People say, well, you shouldn't confess it over. Just shut up. Whatever. She's spoiled. You know, she's blessed. She's that too, but I'm telling you, Papa spoils her. I'm just, my daughter finally said, Dad, you got to stop bringing bags of stuff home. I'm like, well, if it was a little boy, I probably wouldn't bring as much because, you know, everything looks the same. But them little girl clothes, Lord Jesus, I, I'm just walking around and all of a sudden they jump on. I'm like, oh, dude, looks so cute in that. My daughter says, we can't fit them anymore in her room. Stop it. I can't help it. And uh, if you're my Facebook friend, you've already seen all the pictures and I do not apologize for it. 
And if you're not my Facebook friend yet and you are, after this is over, you will see plenty of pictures, guaranteed. And uh, she's bringing great joy, great joy uh, into our life. And I told my, my daughter, I said, you know, I'm not just a, a grandfather, but you've made me a patriarch. And, uh, you know, that to me is exciting because, you know, I mean, the, the message of fathers and sons has probably been one of my core messages from the time I got out of college and God, God placed men in my life that have always spoken in my life and been a blessing. And so I bring you greetings from my family. I, for those of you that don't know, uh, I am from Saginaw, Michigan. And uh, we started a church now four years ago. I've traveled now. This is my wife and I. We just celebrated 25 years of marriage and 25 years of ministry. Thank you. And uh, that was in the spring. I, I, had, I had ministered in Australia for 15 days. And then I, I left from Australia and flew to Honolulu. And she met me there. And we were able to have a wonderful time celebrating our 25th. And, uh, uh, but then on top of all that, uh, I also, uh, I'm only there twice a month. So I'm on the road still two weeks out of every month. Uh, I have a network of churches I've overseen now for 12 years. And then also uh, this last year, uh, my overseer, my apostle, my spiritual father uh, went on to be with the Lord and myself and two other men have now also as a team taking over that ministry. So that's, that's uh, about another 60 churches and about 80 preachers around the country. And so uh, I, I'm, I got plenty to do. Let's put it that way. Okay. I got plenty to do. And, uh, but I always go where there's relationship and, uh, you know, God connected your pastor and I, uh, a long time ago for a reason and we love him and his whole family. And, uh, I kept, I kept watching them little girls, uh, getting a kick out of them worshiping over here. And, uh, there's nothing, nothing more exciting, uh, to know that your children are walking in the truth. And there, there is an excitement of being able to watch, watch the growth. And, uh, there we go. This one keeps going in and out, don't it? We're not going to let this, uh, Mike mess up this yeah, message. That's right. That are come out in Jesus' name. Just uh, also, just just real quick, directly after the service, uh, I'll be out uh, in the foyer at that desk there. Uh, when I was with you the last time, I think I have one, maybe two, uh, new USBs with me. I travel with uh, four USBs, and uh, they have about sixty-four hours of teaching between all four of them. And uh, from a little bit of everything you can imagine, the brand new one is a yellow one. It's called Love and Order, and that is pun intended, not law and order, but love and order. And uh, it is uh, nine, nine to ten hours I did on Agape uh, at our ministry that absolutely revolutionized, uh, really, our life and mine. I'm going to share a little bit of that today because I realized I'd been preaching the gospel for, at that time, 23 years and really didn't fully comprehend the simplicity of the foundation of the gospel, uh, which really is uh, one command that Jesus gave. He only ever gave one. He only ever gave one, and that's really the only thing that we should be known for, and it's the one thing much of the body has been known the least for, uh, but God is, is shifting that uh, in this hour. Uh, but uh, then there's about another seven hours on government, on understanding how the church started, uh, do a whole message on apostolic DNA, on the fivefold ministry, just some good stuff back there. Uh, many of you the last time bought the Blue series. It is how to understand the scriptures, uh, how to comprehend, how to interpret them. You know, we get up and tell people all the time, you need to be a good Berean and learn how to study the Bible for yourself, but then we never teach you how. And, and how many of you know, uh, you know, if you just grab your Bible and read it and you just say, well, praise the Lord, this is what I think it means. Uh, you know, first of all, we're going to have a bunch of people walking around with no eyeballs and all the wrists cut off. 
Come on, listen, the, the Bible has more than 300 figures of speech in it. It's full of hyperbole, metaphor, and it was the hyperbole and metaphor of thousands of years ago of culture. And if you don't understand the culture of that day, now you see, you can read your Bible devotionally, and God can speak stuff to you. It's just you're not supposed to take what you believe was personally for you and go try to establish it as doctrine. Come on, you hear me? So when you're interpreting the Bible, it's a whole nother ballgame. Devotional reading, I mean, Jesus can speak all kinds of stuff to us in devotions, but when it comes to try to then tell someone this is what it means, whole nother ballgame, because one thing that shocks people, and I teach in Bible schools, I really teach that series all over the world in Bible schools, and uh, what blows people away is the Bible wasn't written to any Americans in 2016. Uh, that's a shock to some people, <laughs> It was actually written to a specific people at a specific time. I, I try to explain it to people like this. Imagine if a time machine was all of a sudden invented and you were able to go back and talk to your grandmother in 1940. And as you're talking to your grandmother, you tell her, hey, grandma, you know what? I've got a picture of you and I when I was a little baby and you were holding me and we got that picture on Facebook. You know what your grandma in 1940 would say? She said, what's Facebook? The only thing she could comprehend about Facebook is either her face is in a book or your face is looking at a book. All right, but, but we do that with the Bible. We read something that was spoken thousands of years ago in a whole different culture, and we try to bring it into the culture of today, and I'm telling you, you're going to mess it up. Amen. Can, can I give you one simple example? Are, are you all here? Are we all right so far? Jesus said this one day. He said, not one jot or tittle of the law shall pass away till heaven and earth passes away. Well, if you believe that's literal heaven and literal earth, then we're all still under law, and you need to throw the whole book of Romans out, the book of Galatians, half of Colossians, and most of the New Testament. Come on, you with me? Because, I mean, he said, not one jot or tittle of this law shall pass away until heaven and earth. Well, it's obviously not talking about literal heaven and little earth because there's many times in Scripture it says the earth remains forever. And how many know God's not going to have to redo heaven? Uh, it never got messed up. <laughs> Come on, but if you understand to a Jew, heaven and earth was the tabernacle in Jerusalem. They actually called the outer court the sea, the inner court the earth or the land, and the holy of holies, they called it the heavens. It's where heaven and earth came together. To a Jew, their heaven and their earth was the tabernacle. All right, and, and matter of fact, when Jesus said it about 40 years later, it got knocked down in, 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 in a war that took place between 67 and 70 AD. Heaven, their heaven and their earth passed away, and now you and I are no longer under law. We are under grace. Come on, th that's part of the good news of the gospel, because if you weren't, if you weren't, then you were supposed to at least bring a turtle dove this morning. Thank you, Jesus, that we're not under all that mess. But you see, if, we, if you don't understand the language and you don't understand the verbiage, uh, then you're going to misinterpret every single time because it cannot mean to you something it didn't mean to the original hearers. All right, that, that, that's interpreting. And so I, I've got 15 hours on walking you through. Listen, guys, it's just some rich stuff. And I do a special price. You buy three, get one free. But my fourth one, I've only got like seven or eight of them left, and which pretty much you buy the other three and you get that one for free. So I guess the first seven back there, get the free one. Uh, otherwise... Snooze, you lose, I guess. So I encourage you to stop by and see me. And also, I'm set up back there for credit cards, and I don't do a swipe. Uh, you actually fill in the information, and whatever date you put on the top is the date we run it. Because I always have people tell me, man, I'd like to get all these, but I won't have no money until next Friday. Well, you put the date next Friday, and that's when we run the card. 
It's actually a pretty smart way to do it. So, so no, no excuse right there. You can put it for two Fridays from now. I don't care. Uh, we just run it then. And so I encourage you, please stop, stop and take a look. Anyway, are you ready for the word? All right, turn with me to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. And I'm going to start reading in verse number 8 of James chapter 2. James 2, starting in verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law, everybody say royal law. According to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, then you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all of it. He who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, then you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and do, so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Everybody say the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, just so you all know right up front, uh, you know, I, I think I mentioned it when I was uh, the last time speaking for your pastor. And uh, I mentioned that, I, you know, I, I was raised in the classical Pentecostal church. And I'm grateful for my roots. I'm grateful from where I, for where I, I came from. But uh, church to me growing up was not really an enjoyable thing. It was, it was normally pretty terrifying. Uh, I got to be honest with you. I mean, because, you know, most of the messages, you know, were turn or burn, you know, you lie, you fry. I mean, you know, it was constantly, you know, half the time we were in, the other rest of the time we were out, and everything was a sin, everything, especially if it was fun. And, and, and the only thing we never preached against was, you know, potlucking, because, you know, we thought Paul was saying buffet your body. Anyway, I don't know. Rather than buffet our body, and you know, I mean, we we had to keep some stuff, you know, for ourselves, but uh, everything. And so, when you're raised under uh, extreme legalism and extreme law, and 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 you're you're raised under what I even call worse, I'd almost be, I'd almost rather someone be raised under all law rather than mixture. Because the mixture is what's confusing. Because one Sunday, Jesus loves you unconditionally, and then the next three months, a series would be preached. He loves you if and but why, when, how. You know, I mean, you got to dot this I, cross this T, and if you do this, 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 and this, then he, he really loves you. And so, you know, we'll sing, he loves us, he loves us, and we walk out, we're saying, yeah, he does, but. And so then it brings confusion, and you walk around your whole life, Growing up in church many times is he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. I'm, I'm in the kingdom, just got kicked out. I better hurry up and run back to the altar and say, forgive me, Jesus. And my name just got blotted out of the book. Oh, forgive me, Jesus. Uh, I'm glad that angel's got some white out. You just, you just put my name back in and it was just, you're never secure as a son. You're just constantly living in, in insecurity. And, and that's why I tell people that uh, 17 years ago, I, I received what I call my baptism into the grace of God and the goodness of God. And from that time on, I began to preach about the radical, scandalous love of Jesus. I began to realize that a lot of how we presented him to the world was jacked up. You know, he's not Zeus up in heaven with lightning bolts ready to strike you down every time you have a bad thought. That was a good place for an amen. 
All right, he, he, he's not Molech. He's not, he, he's, he's not a pagan deity. He, Jesus came to reveal what Papa looks like. That's why, that's why we, you and I, we do not come into a throne room that is a judicial throne room. We're now coming into a throne room, and the throne is full of grace and mercy. We're now coming into the living room, and in the living room, Daddy's on the lazy boy bidding us, come climb up in my lap, and I will in no wise cast you out. But when you begin to preach, you know, our, our church in, in, in Saginaw, I mean, we, you know, Saginaw per capita for uh, many years has always been in the top five most dangerous cities in America. And we started in the hood. 40% of my church are first-time believers. More than half of them are former gangbangers. I mean, we, we got fun. I mean, I've got, I've got bounty hunters in my church. I've got... <laughs> Yeah, we have we got fun folks, man. We got and we 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 ain't got no you know we ain't got no church drama. We got real drama, you know. Someone calling you like Bishop. Something told me to call you. I'm going to cut my husband. I'm like okay, you know. I mean, you know, it ain't it ain't like you know, especially white church drama. Someone gets on Facebook. She hurt my feelings, you know. I don't I don't I don't deal with none of that. I, if it's drama, it's serious stuff. Someone gonna get cut. <laughs> Amen. I can handle that. I'm like, that's in your face. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. <laughs> but we've already become known as that church in town. You know, we're, we're that church. All they preach over there is love. They just love all the time. Just love. And I'm like, compared to, like, you know, hate? You know, you're, you're okay with that? You know? Yeah, that's what Jesus did, WWJD. But what happens many times is this, is people get nervous when, when preachers begin to preach, especially folks raised in church, when preachers begin to preach and teach radical, radical grace and radical love because they're afraid that people will become what theology calls... Uh, Antinomianism. It is lawlessness. You, you are, you are no longer. Now you're not governed by anything. It's just cast off all restraint. Hey, all things are permissible. But then we forget the rest of the verse. But they're not all beneficial. And if all you hear is permissible, uh, that's what you always wanted to do in the first place. And all grace did was expose what was already in your heart. And all you did was been sitting in the church your whole life, and you weren't doing it, but you wanted to do it. And so all that did was produce in you to be a professional hypocrite, a professional actor on the stage of life, because you wanted to do it, but you just were restrained. And, you know, we, that's why we told people for years, someday they're going to get their act together. It's still an act. It's just, it's an act. He doesn't want us to be actors on the stage of life. He wants us to be sons completely accepted in the beloved, knowing that we are loved unconditionally. And because of that, there, 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 there's things we're still governed by. But you see, the only difference in the new covenant compared to the old covenant is we're still under law. It's just a different one. We're still under law in this new covenant, but it is, it is what James called the royal law. He called it the law of liberty, and Paul called it the law of life and love. So we are under a royal law of love, life, and liberty in Christ Jesus. We're, we're still governed in this, this season, but we're now governed by one rule. We're not governed by 
the 613 of the Old Testament, including in the 613 is the Big Ten. We're not governed by them because Christ is the end of the law. And by the time Jesus showed up, there were 245 laws the scribes and Pharisees added on top of it, plus 365 prohibitions. By the time Jesus showed up, there was 1,100 rules. That'll wear you out. That's why James says you break one of them, you done broke all of them, man. If you're going to be under the law, you got to keep the whole thing, Jack. The whole thing. And so James begins to give us, he gives us this picture about this, this royal law. And going into this year, I began, to, I began to ask the Lord a question because I did a study that was very interesting. And what I found is this, is after Jesus said, it is finished, we are never told one time to love God. Not one time. Uh, there's not one verse, and if it even infers it, it's always in the context of loving humans. You know, Jesus was asked one day, they said to him, they said, Master, would you tell us what is the greatest commandment under the law? And Jesus messes with them because he was famous for it. He doesn't give them one commandment, he gives them two. He says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. I can almost see the Pharisees saying, we didn't ask you for two of them. We ask you, give us one law, man. Tell us the one thing that is the law. Instead, he gives them two. And then in, I think it's in Luke, he says, for these are the same. Because if you're going to love God with all your heart, I know, I know it's Valentine's Day. <laughs> and, and we're going we're to deal. What does it really mean to love God in this season that we're living? I mean, what does is, what is loving God really look like? Well, you know, Jesus declared it. He said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. But he was speaking to Jews under the law, telling them the greatest commandment under the law. Well, you and I are not where they were. Matter of fact, Jesus said something different one day in John 15. He said, a new commandment. It's the only time he used the word command. A new commandment I give to you, love one another is I have loved you because it's okay to love your neighbor as yourself. Matter of fact, Paul said in Romans that, that, that loving your neighbor as yourself is the end of the law. It's the fulfillment of the law. If you want to know how to fulfill the law over and over and over and over again, we are told love your neighbor as you love yourself. The only, the, the only problem with that is that is very conditional on what I feel. And so, you know, it, it, it's one thing. I can love you as I love myself, and, and that's good if I'm having a good day. Amen. Y- y'all here? You understand? <laughs> All right, so if you run into me on Tuesday, and I'm having a good Tuesday. I like me on Tuesday. I mean, things went well. Me and my wife are getting along good. The kids ain't going crazy. And I mean, I really like me today. Man, you are going to love to run into me on Tuesday. But if you run into me on one of those days, and I know y'all are too spiritual. You never have those days anymore. But if you run into me on one of those days where, you know, the kids went crazy and, and you know, it might have been Valentine's Day and, and, and your wife and you went out to eat and all of a sudden she wasn't happy with what you picked and, and rather than turn into a nice night, it ended up being a fight and, you're, you know, you're arguing on the way home and hallelujah. I'm sure that didn't happen to anybody yesterday at all either. Hmm. But uh, if you run into me on that day, then I'm going to love you the way I love myself. And if I don't like myself very much that day, stinks for you. 
because it's conditional then on what I feel about myself. But Jesus didn't tell us just to love your neighbor as you love yourself. He said, I'm giving you a brand new command, and I want you to love each other as I have loved. That's a, that's a whole nother level, man. That means you're always patient. You're always kind. You're not envious. You're not boastful. You're, matter of fact, you're not easily angered that when that person cuts you off on your way to work, Rather than the spirit of road rage jumping all on you, you start praying for him in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> and if you're honking, you're saying Jesus loves you. <laughs> Not only that, but if you're loving the way Jesus loves, it means you keep no record of wrong. Now, see, that's okay with strangers. But when it's folks that are close to you. You know, you know what I found? Real growth is when we find out, because Jesus went on to say in the rest of that verse, he said, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, for in this all men will know that you're my disciples. It is the only litmus test, period. He didn't say by how many prayer meetings you go to. Everybody will know that you're my disciple. He didn't say how much intercession that you gathered together with all the intercessors in Chicago and, and, and you prayed in tongues for eight hours for five days long, but, but then you walk out of there and you won't even talk to your neighbor. He, he ain't impressed. He didn't say about how much you attend a church and by how good of a tither and how good, man, big offerings that you give. Matter of fact, he didn't, he didn't say any of that, and those are all good things. Don't misunderstand as a disciple, those are good things for you to live out and good things for you to do. He said there's only one way, one thing. Man, everybody say one thing. There's only one thing, one thing that proves that we're his. And that's how we love others. Matter of fact, Jesus, Jesus in his manifesto of the kingdom on the Sermon on the Mount in the Macarius life, blessed life, he lays it out. He says, bless those that despitefully use you. Love your enemies. Don't render evil for evil. He said, if you want to know, if you want to know if you're getting deep, because you know what I found in my life? Some of the folks that act like they're the deepest are the meanest. I mean, they're so deep with Jesus. I mean, they come drip, walking out dripping, man, you can, don't touch me. Don't touch me because the anointing's on me. Well, if the anointing's on you, it's for other people, chief. I, I don't know what in the world you holding on to it for. I mean, I've preached places before, and the preacher would be like, oh, no, no, don't, I don't let nobody touch me before the service. You know, I'm, you, got a, you got a man of God syndrome, man. You need to get over yourself. You are not all that in a bag of chips. We, we, we get all these crazy ideas, but yet some of the meanest people I've ever met go to church every week. I mean, just mean. I mean, judgmental and shame-based and they, how they treat their neighbor is horrible. They don't even want to talk to the neighbor. And, and then you go to eat with them after a service and the way they treat the waiter and the waitress. Or you go preach conference with them and you're on platforms with, man, over the last 20, going on six years, I've been on a lot of platforms with a lot of people and you go to the green room afterwards and they're treating the helps ministry like their dogs. But acting so anointed on the stage. Ooh. Revelation flowing out of them. But they 
Their wife can't stand them. Their kids don't want nothing to do with them. Half their kids are on crack. But they're anointed. You see, we, we, we have put, especially in the charismatic church, we've put such a focus on what we view to be the anointing rather than on the litmus test of every believer, every preacher, every individual is loving one another. Matter of fact, when I began to study some things this year, for some reason I just went to the number 16, and I have my one series that I teach on how to understand the Bible, I've got a, I think almost 10 or 12, about 8 or 9 hours of that is all about uh, the numbers of Scripture and the meanings of all the numbers. And the number 16 actually is not found in Scripture. There's not like necessarily a meaning for it. So we go through all the numbers actually found in Scripture and the meanings. But in Hebrew, the number 16 is the number of love. And, and I'm, I, I'm personally in this season. It's why I really can't preach anything else right now. So uh, even if you wanted me to, it, it, would, it would wind back here somehow. I'm in this season where I've, I've realized the one thing that we are called to do is the thing that much of the church has been the worst at. The safest place on the planet on a Sunday should be when the saints gather together. We, we should be able to walk in here not feeling fingers pointed at us, Eyes darted on us. We should feel this incredible love. And let me just say, I, I was feeling it this morning, so I'm not preaching at you also. Of course, you know, it, it, it didn't hurt. You know, I forgot it's been about a year and a half or so, and I was like, you know, Joey got going in a couple of days. I was like, Lord, hallelujah, Jesus. Just because if you'd have been with me the last few nights in service, anyway, hallelujah. <laughs> that helps. <laughs> Big time. But John tells us this in 1 John. He said, if you, if you say that you love God and you hate your brother who you see, you can't say you love a God who you don't see if you don't even like your brother who you see. Paul made it clear to us where he said, we're to love all men, but especially those of the household faith. Jesus made it even a, a whole lot deeper one day. Jesus in Matthew 25 begins to, he begins to tell us a story about sheep and goats, and it's, it's, it's following a whole eschatological picture, and so people mix up the meaning of it. To a Jew, the moment they hear sheep and goat, they're not thinking humans, they're thinking sacrifices. All right, they're, they're thinking about sin offerings and atonement offerings. They're not, they're not thinking about people, okay? So, uh, and I don't have time to head that way, but you've got to understand uh, Jesus used imagery that would have went somewhere in their mind. It doesn't in ours because, you know, we've been told by, you know, brother so-and-so teaches prophecy about all these sheep nations and goat nations, and anyway, I don't really want to get into all that. Uh, but Jesus goes on to say this. He said, how it will be proven whether you have a sheep or a goat mentality is he says to his disciples, I was hungry. You didn't feed me. I was thirsty. You gave me nothing to drink. I was a, I was a stranger. I, I was a xenos. I was an alien. I was, I was a Syrian. And you didn't take me in. I was naked. 
and you didn't clothe me. I was in prison. You didn't visit me, and the disciples are freaking out. They're like, Master, we've been with you 24-7, 365 for three and a half years. When was you naked? (laughs) And when was you in prison? We missed it. I don't know. Were you dreaming? And then he said, if you've done it to the least of these, then you've done it unto me. Now watch this. The Lord said this to me in December. He said, until you can see every human as Jesus, you're never going to fully mature and walk in love. Until you can see every human, even your enemies. Isn't it interesting that Jesus never told us to love his enemies? He said, I want you to love your enemies because he ain't got no enemies because greater love has no man than this and he laid down his life for his friends and he laid down his life for everybody. I mean, that's all through scripture so he got no enemies. He's not viewing. Matter of fact, uh, Colossians tells us that we were enemies alienated from God in our minds. The purpose for the cross was to deal with the alienation in our minds. God never turned away from us. It was always us turning away from God. In the garden, Adam and Eve turned and hid from God. God never hid from them. He came down. Matter of fact, he got so close to them in the garden, he killed an animal and wrapped them in clothes. He actually touched their sin because, you know, I mean, I was raised in church, and we always heard, God's so holy, God's so righteous. Because, <laughs> you know, it had to be that way if it, if it was anointed. That God can't even look on sin. How many of y'all have heard that? God can't even look on sin. You ever try to find it in the Bible? Matter of fact, there's only one verse that even comes close to it in Habakkuk 1.13. It says, God, you're so holy and you're so righteous. How can you look on evil? Comma. So why do you? (laughs) It's amazing what happens when you read the rest of the verse. I mean, the idea of God can't look on sin, it means he's blind, man. I mean, because sin is everywhere. Not only that, but God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against him. So if you believe in the incarnation that Jesus was God and that he and the Father were one and he came to reveal the heart of the Father, he was called a friend of sinners. So God was looking at sin on a regular basis. He wasn't just looking at it, he was touching it. Matter of fact, he let sinners give him pedicures and rub him down with essential oils. While he's reclining, by the way. That'll mess with a religious person so bad. <laughs> Reclining at the table, having a meal, and she comes in, just starts doing all this stuff. And he doesn't say, Oh, thou as shouldest not as touchest me as. Don't you know that I am holiest? No, instead, God gets down in our mess. He's in the midst of all of that. See, I, I used to pride myself in something. I, I, I realized that, and I so appreciate it because we sang it, and I mean, any time a song starts talking about removing fear, I mean, I, I'm, I'm telling you, that, that, that it makes me want to run, cry, shout, everything else, because I was raised in extreme fear. And if perfect love removes all fear, the opposite is true, and fear removes love. So people that have been raised under a gospel of fear, which that's an oxymoron, good news of fear. It, it doesn't line up. If you've been raised under a message of fear, and many have been, and if you, if you can't relate, just say thank you, Jesus, trust me. 
But if you've been raised under a message of fear, then you don't know how to receive love. And you have a hard time learning how to love. It's very difficult to grasp because how can you love someone that you're terrified of? It, it, it's, hard, it's hard for a child to fully give its heart to a parent that is abusing them. It's, it, it's difficult uh, to shift that, that kind of mindset. And I, I finally had to come to this place where I, I realized if love then removes all fear, then anything that produces fear, God has not given it to us. Because he's not given us the spirit. My theology is simple. If you're hearing a message and it's producing fear in you, it's not the new covenant. That's real deep, isn't it? If it makes you scared, if you're terrified, see, the, the, the fear of the Lord is the awe of God. It's honor. I always had awe of my natural dad, but the day I can't come and climb him up into his lap because I'm hiding from him, that's, that's not awe. That's terror. It's a phobia. And, and Jesus came to set us free from all phobias. And so if, if, that, is, if that, is the, that is the mindset that many, that many have had released into their life, I, I, had to come, I had to come to this simple place where I realized that all fear had to be driven away and driven out of my life. And that I could come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace in my time of need. And when that is, when that is the heart and the motive, and for me, for me it was, it was experiencing, right after I was, I think, with you all the last time, we had just finished up our, our series on, on agape. And I, I had taught nine weeks off and on on it. And I got ready to get on an airplane, and I flew from Flint, Michigan to, uh, to Chicago, and then I was flying to L.A. And someone had messaged me when I got off the airplane at O'Hell, I mean O'Hare. <laughs> I spend too much time there, okay? Just hallelujah. <laughs> I love Chicago, but help us with the airports. And... Uh, I, uh, Lord, I apologize. Um, I got messaged and they said, uh, have you read, have you read Tulian Shavigian's new book, One Way Love? And I, I'd read his book, Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. Uh, I keep it in my foyer, one of the best books ever written on the gospel. Billy Graham's grandson. And uh, I said, no, but it's got love in it. And I'm in this whole season, man, where all God's talking to me about is love, 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 love. We did a summer of love. And so I started to read it before I got on the plane, and the moment I did, all of a sudden, I knew I was going to be a wreck because, you know, I'm, you've got to understand something. My baptism into the love of God was an absolute miracle because I am almost 100% A personality, almost 100% cleric. My love language is acts of service. So I am Mr. Get or Done. Get in, get out, or get run over. Uh, and for God to do the shift in me, I had to learn how to lead, not by authority, but by agape. And it's been one of the most difficult journeys of my life. Because I was trained how to rule by authority. Get in, get out, get run. Just, this is what you got to do. But I, I had to realize that Jesus didn't lead that way. 
And Jesus turns to his disciples one day, and he said, listen, if you guys really want to follow me, you got to drink my blood and eat my body. And everybody freaks out. They're thinking, you know, this is, you know, vampires. And, you know, I mean, they're like, man, he wants us to, I mean, Jesus literally preached a whole sermon, and he said, eat me. You know, I mean, that's, that's pretty intense. <laughs> but then he says this. He says, but guys, uh, are you going to go too? Notice what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, I chose you, you didn't choose me. You're my sons and daughters. We're in covenant. You can't go anywhere. Jesus led by always giving others choice. The moment you're being led by someone and they're not giving you choice, you're in a toxic environment. We need a couple more amens right there. Uh, See, I, I used to pride myself because in our town I have... All kinds of family. It's where my mom and dad are from. And I had a couple of my older cousins, and they would always tell my mom, we feel uncomfortable in Jamie's presence. This was like in the 90s. And, and my mom would say, well, why? And they'd say, well, we feel like he sees right through us. And I, I used to take pride in like, that's right. It's the anointing. They're under conviction in my holy presence. It's the prophet of God. It's in their midst, and being raised the way I was raised, if sinners are comfortable around you, there's something wrong with you. I mean, sinners should just be miserable in your presence. Until the Lord began to deal with me, he took me to the Gospels, and he said, I want you to find one time where anyone ever felt uncomfortable in Jesus' presence. He said, if he's your example, why don't you just try to find, other than religious people, the only people that even felt a little bit uncomfortable were Pharisees and Sadducees, people trying to put the yoke of the law and bondage on them. But, but, but people felt completely at ease. He was, he was called a friend of publicans and prostitutes. Notice, not just ex-publicans and ex-prostitutes. That means he was a friend to some folks and they didn't convert, but he was still their friend. Why? Because he couldn't help it because he was love. I'm getting ready to do a series the next two. I'm going to be home the next two Sundays. I'm doing a series called Living a Questionable Life. Because most of what Jesus did was questionable. He hung out with questionable people. Most of what he did was very questionable. I mean, he's at a party and everybody's already half wasted, and he gives them some more. <laughs> that's a little bit questionable. I mean, I mean, he's letting a prostitute rub all up on his feet. I mean, that's questionable. I don't care who you are, huh? I mean, everything, everything about Jesus. I mean, he he didn't view things the way religion did at all, and so I. I, I with my personality, I would normally cry maybe three, four times a year. And it normally had something to do with my kids. I'm a shouter, a laugher, but I started reading that book, getting ready to get on the plane, and I knew I was in trouble. And for four hours at 30,000 feet, I sobbed. I sobbed. I couldn't. I'm glad it was a night flight. <laughs> and there was nobody sitting next to me, and a lady at the window, she kept saying, are you okay, young man? And I'm like, you know, I'm reading something. It's doing something to me. I'm, I'm good. I get off the plane, my, my friend from L.A. picks me up, and he's like, bro, what's up? I'm, my eyes are bloodshot. I'm a wreck. 
I had to go to the bathroom at least six, seven times and let out sobs. And the only way I know how to explain it is at 30,000 feet, I'm experiencing liquid love. It's one thing to preach about something. It's another thing to experience it. Where you just sense the love of God to such a degree that, that it changes how you view other humans. I came home from that trip, and God did another work on the way back in me, dealt with me some things with my family. I went home, got in front of my kids, uh, asked them to forgive me for being a donkey, except I King james it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, I don't know how free I am, you know, in some places. And, and God did a, a whole restoration between my son and I because his heart had started to turn away for about a year, and, and when I humbled myself in front of him, and I said, man, I, I've been command and control my whole life. I had a revelation of God's grace for me, but I still raised you under law, and, and I'm sorry for that. My job wasn't to teach you just how to behave, but to teach you how to love, and I didn't know how. Didn't know how. It's not that my parents didn't love me. It's not that I didn't love my kids, but I, I didn't really understand that love until I had I had that experience, and I knew God had did something in me because I, six months later, I'm getting ready to get on a plane to fly to Colorado Springs to teach at a Bible school, and I got an upgrade into a business class, and I sit next to a man, probably 58 or so years old, and he turned and said hello to me, and the moment he said hello, I, I, I knew he had been out of the closet for several years, and you all know what I mean. He's like, hey, how are you? Uh, he'd been out of the closet for a minute. And uh, after we take off, of course, you know, we begin to talk and engage. And he turns to me and he said, so what do you do for a living? Now, I never tell people I'm a preacher because then, you know, if they've already been cussing, they're like, forgive me for my French the last 15 minutes. I don't know what it is about the French. They must be cussers or something because they get, <laughs> no one ever says forgive me for my German, you know. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what it is with the French. But I never tell anybody I'm a preacher because I want them to be themselves, and he said, what do you do for a living? I said, I troubleshoot for nonprofit corporations. Because <laughs> it's what I do. I'm not lying. It's what I do. <laughs> and after about 50, he's like, that's interesting. How does that work? And we get into the conversation about 15 minutes in. He looks at me and he says, you're a preacher, aren't you? <laughs> I'm not going to lie to him. I said, yes, sir, I am. And he said, I don't believe you. I said, why is that? He said, first of all, you don't look like one. I said, thank you. <laughs> that is on purpose. He said, he said, you know, the reason I don't believe you is, he said, I've never been around a Christian, let alone a preacher, that I did not feel completely condemned, judged, and ashamed. And he said, I've not felt an ounce of that from you. And I looked at him and I said, six months ago, you probably would have. He said, excuse me, I said six months ago, the moment you said hello, I'd have probably just said hello and been kind and then turned my head and took a nap. And when I talked to you, he said, well, what happened? And I began to talk to him about my liquid love experience in the airplane. And all of a sudden, while I'm telling him, it starts happening to him. And he's sitting there as I'm just talking about this love of God. And all of a sudden, he, start, he, he, can't, he can't stop crying. He's like, man, what's going on? What is this? And I said, 
that it's it. That's that's that, that's God. That's that's His love. And He said, He said, How can that be? Uh, because because all of you preachers, my whole life, have told me that He couldn't love me because of, because of my life. And I said, Well, first of all, that's a lie. Nothing separates you from His love. Now, if you got issues, then you let Him deal with that. But but but. But he said, I don't believe he can really love me like that. And I said, man, he does. And he said, this is amazing. And he's crying. And for a half hour, him and I just sat and cried. And I didn't tell him, I didn't tell him, repent, you sodomite. Going to hell in a handbasket. I, I, I never let him in a sinner's prayer. I didn't say, now pray a prayer with me. Our job, I'm realizing this. Jesus didn't run around pointing out everybody's sin. Jesus just walked up and loved people with ridiculous, scandalous love. And when they experienced his love, they wanted to change. You see, many times rather than do that, we have spent a huge amount of our time feeling it's our job to be the sheriffs of righteousness to the world and run around. Uh, I preach a series of messages called Stop Giving Everybody the Finger. <laughs> and let me tell you, the world gives a finger and it's offensive. This one's worse. When you run around at your family reunion and there's someone smoking or there's someone drinking and you're pointing the finger and looking down the nose at them and they wonder why they still never want anything to do with you. They don't want to come to your church. They don't want to. See, I thought it was my job to put people under conviction when I realized my job is to just radically love people. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to change people. We're, we are not the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. and, and I'm going to, let me wind this down. Jesus rises from the dead. Peter it just messed up three times. Jesus meets Peter again, and he says this. He said, Peter, do you love me? He said, of course I love you. Watch what he says. Feed my lambs. In other words, how you're going to show your love for me? Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. He likens it immediately to how you treat them is how you feel about me. Uh, matter of fact, uh, Jesus appears to Saul, knocks him down on the Damascus Road, appears to him flooded with light, and he says something interesting. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Notice he didn't say, why are you persecuting the church? He said, why are you persecuting me? Because how you treat them, are y'all here? Huh? How you treat them is how you treat me. See, Jesus' whole message was subversive. His whole message was messing with the religious system, letting him know that he came to remove the middle wall of partition. He came to remove the us and them. He came to remove the Jew and the Greek mentality, the Jew and the Gentile, the male and the female, the black and the white, the brown and the yellow, the peach and the tan. Most folks ain't white anyway. They're a little peachy. <laughs> he, he came to remove all of the us and them, but yet a good portion of my life, our whole message was us 
and those people. You know, those people. You got to stay away from those people. Matter of fact, we've all at one time or another experienced someone looking at us. It's those people. You know, I I experienced it because I was in a Pentecostal church. You're like, oh, you go to that church. Those people, they, you know, in the 70s, they were running around the building and hanging from chandeliers and, you know, those people. You know, your, 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 your daddy is a what? Oh, you're one of them. Yet Jesus said how you treat those people is how you treat me. You see, every decade those people change. Those people in the 50s were different than those people in the 60s, different than those in the 70s and 80s. And now those people are all kinds of people. And we forget what Jesus did at the cross. He removed all that. That's why Paul in Acts 17 could say, in him we, to pagans, not Christians, in him we live and move and have our being, for we are all God's offspring, we us sons. See, until, until we can see every human as Jesus, that means you're going to have to learn to get along with people that are being ugly towards you. You're going to have to actually view those people as us people. You, you, want, you, want, you want to see? I mean, this building's already pretty full. You want to see two or three services full? Just continue to love on people unconditionally and remove all mindset of us and them. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop with this. You can help, Joe, if you would. Come play those, shut me up, thanks. When we first started our, our, the church in Saginaw, one of the things I prayed, I, I said, God, I, I, I want us to be a church culture. That when someone wakes up on a Sunday afternoon, because we, we only do Sunday night service, only day of the week most people have to sleep in Sunday morning. Noon, noon is much better. I like, I like. People got eight a.m. services. I'm like, I'm like, I want to rest. Thank you very much. But uh, I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I want, I want us to be a place that when someone wakes up on Sunday afternoon and maybe they're one of the one of the strippers down the road at the Deja Vu or they're one of the prostitutes on the east side or they're an addict and and not just someone on heroin. Heroin's wreaking our area right now horribly. Not just heroin but also the guy out in the township living in a million dollar house who's addicted to Vicodin and he's lost everything because believe it or not there's all kinds of folks addicted to legal drugs. It's huge right now. Or the drunk that stumbles in and he wakes up on a Sunday and they just say, man, I've had such a rough week and a rough month. I just want to go somewhere where I can be loved unconditionally, where I can can experience no shame and no judgment and people will just embrace me for me. I said, Lord, that's, that's what I want our church to be. 
So about six months into it, we had been meeting in a basement hall until we moved out now where we're, we're now meeting on a kitty corner from the mall. And uh, we had a man start coming to our church. He'd come about every other week, sometimes once a month. His name's Jeff. And Jeff in Saginaw is one of Saginaw's town drunks. Everybody knows who Jeff is. Jeff rides his bike everywhere. He'll never have his license again. He always has on elbow pads and knee pads. And the reason is because he's always falling off his bike. He doesn't want to break any bones. And he walks in the building and, and, and he's, he's, he's the connection church's norm. You know, for everybody like under 35, Google norm and cheers. Then you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, everyone else... You know, I mean, Norman cheers. He's got a messed up marriage. You know, he, he don't like his life. He don't like his job. But he, he goes to cheers. He goes to the bar every day because it's a place where everybody knows his name. Nobody's judging Norm at the bar. No one is pointing their finger. Everybody just loves Norm for Norm. That's why he spent so much time there. I've said for years the the church should be cheers to the world. People can walk in with whatever issue they got and whatever mess is going on in their life, whether they're down and out or up and out, but they got issues. And rather than finger pointing, they feel this amazing love, not just from God, but from his people. And every time he comes in, he's always looking for me. Bishop, Bishop, is Bishop here? And he always wants to hug. I'm like, Jeff, how's it going? He comes up, gives me a big hug, and he's got his backpack. You know, there's three or four-fifths in there. And, uh, you know, we, we tried to help him one time get somewhere to get some help, and he, just, he, he wasn't ready yet. He's, I think he wants to. He's been disappointed so many times. And when we moved out to where we're meeting now, we were, we were getting ready to building needed a bunch of painting and so I told everybody I'm going to be there every day for the next two weeks at 10 a.m. if you could meet me there and he said he said I'm, I'm going to be there every day I was like okay Jeff that's awesome well he was he came every day and the second day into it uh, I, I take him to lunch him and I go sit at Burger King and I, I just said to him I said Jeff tell me your story man he began to talk to me about how he had been married he had a construction business I mean, his life, he had children, his life was going good, and then his wife ran off on him with somebody, and, 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 and then he got addicted to prescription drugs that led to all these other, uh, other addictions, and he's now pretty much been drunk for 25, 30 years, and he's tried to dry out before, and it's constantly disappointed him. And as I listened to his story, then he said to me, he said, you know what? He said, you have no idea how many weeks where I have had hell on earth and I wake up on a Sunday and I'll just say you know what I need to go somewhere today where I'm just going to be loved on by some people who aren't going to judge me who aren't going to point the finger at me and he said the first thought I have is he said to come to your church I, I, I fell apart at Burger King at Burger King I sat there and I just began to sob he's like are you okay I said you have no idea man I said if we could be known for that that's that's what the world will run to and the Beatles had it right man all we need is love it is the rule Jesus only gave one command love one another all this 
deep stuff we want to run into, it's all good, man. Trust me, if you want to hear some good deep stuff, you know, tell me the next time I come to bring you from stuff from in my 30s. That's all the stuff he heard. It was all deep, but uh, if it doesn't work on, on Monday in the dirt, if it doesn't lead to doesn't lead to loving people radically. It's just and if our Christianity doesn't lead us to see everybody as Jesus we're missing the whole point. That is the heart of Papa God. And I've just made up my mind the rest of my life I just want to be known not just as a radical lover of God radical lover of people because when you're a radical lover of people you are a radical lover of God and no and no the people are not God for anybody that thinks I'm trying to say that but we see them as our savior so when we see them that way I'm I'm not going to be ugly with them I'm going to I'm going to be governed by a law of love that's, that's what this gospel's about. I want to encourage you, make up your mind through 2016. Maybe you've not experienced that liquid agape. I, I, want, I want to encourage you in your own personal time with God. Say, I want to experience that. God, I, I want to experience your love to such a degree that I view people completely different than I did before. Help me to see the way that you see. Set your heart. Come on, stand on your feet, would you? Father, I thank you today. Thank you for your absolute, amazing, ridiculous, and scandalous love for us. Continue to show us and reveal to us that you really are for us and you're not against us. Lord, I I thank you for what you've already been doing in Freedom Church. I thank you that this is a safe place, that this is not a house of toxicity. This is a house of health and freedom and love. And I thank you that people from all over this region are going to come running to experience your love because they're going to experience it through us. We'll thank you for that. In the name of Jesus. I want you to do something with me and then I'm going to turn it back to Pastor. Uh, I, I don't know all of you here. Uh, you know, some of you here are visitors and you might have got dragged here by a relative today. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how you got here. But, but you, you made it for one reason or another. And, and maybe you've had a bad taste in your mouth when it comes to Christians and Christianity and churches. And, and maybe, maybe today, just what you heard triggered something in you. And, and we're going to all pray something together in just a minute here. But I want to I wanna encourage you. Give, give this a shot again. And give... J- j- put your focus on Jesus and you treat people the way he does, no wonder. You know, I read a couple months ago that Gandhi, when he was like 19 or 20 years old, read through the Bible in like two months, became convinced Jesus was the son of God, showed up to a church to make a public confession. They wouldn't let him in the door because of the color of his skin. And from that day on, he didn't want anything to do it. He was the one that made it famous. I'd be a Christian if it wasn't for Christians. He's the one that said that. Why? Because they saw him as them. 
They looked at him as one of those people. Imagine, look what he did for the world. Imagine if he had done it in the name of Jesus. Could have shook nations. But instead, we, we threw him away in the name of our righteousness. And that's not what this world is looking for. They're not looking for Pharisees. Separatists. That's what the word means. They're not looking for people that look down on others. They're looking for people that will say, I'm going to be like Jesus and I'm going to love you with all of your mess and all of your issues. Everybody, would you put your hand on your heart? And I'm going to ask everybody just, just to pray this with me. If you're here and you've never experienced that love, we're going, we're going to just ask God to fill us with that love today. But say this out loud, would you, Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your love. I receive your love in a fresh way today. Manifest your life in me and through me. And then help me to love others. Teach me how to do what you do. Show me your amazing goodness. I thank you for that. Use me this year. Transform my life with your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want you to do something. I want you to turn to at least two or three people and share some with them. Come on, share a little bit of that love with them. Come on, give them a big hug. Come on, tell them I love you in the name of the Lord. Come on, tell them I love you in the name of the Lord. Come on back. Thank you, Brother Jamie. Uh, Just for the record, just for the record, Brother Jamie, some of us white folk, we're peachy on the inside, but about this time of the year, we get kind of pasty. So we're not all peachy. Folks, love is serious business. And that's what our Lord is all about. We're all about. Uh, As the ushers come forward, we're going to prepare to worship the Lord in our giving. I have a few quick announcements as we pray. Uh, But we have a special event right after the worship team sings a song. So stay in your seats. Don't leave. A pastor will come up afterwards. How many of you here are parents and are raising or have raised children? Raise your hand. How many of you know that your kids will never know all that you did for them? I'm still waiting. Now, why am I saying that? I think you know. How many things does the Lord do for us? And we have no idea how he is keeping us, saving us, watching over us, nurturing us. And it just goes on and on and on. Just like manna from heaven, he has more than enough love for all of us. Bow your heads with me.
Father, we are so grateful for your love. Most of all, for what Jesus did for us on the cross. His death made a way for us to come back to you. And we are so grateful today. Lord, we acknowledge that you loved us first. But we are telling you all throughout the service today how much we love you. Never let it become stale in our hearts, Lord, of what you've done, the grace you shower upon us, the way you have invigorated our spirits, and the way you keep us from moment to moment, every breath. But Lord, right now, we just want to give back a little bit, a small tribute to you of what you mean to us. So, Father, we raise our offering to you. It's because of you that we're able to give. And we ask that you bless this offering as only you can. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Well, a few quick announcements. Uh, We have the uh, benefit coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, Miss Bundy Lewis wanted me to let you know that there will be no sales of tickets for that event uh, at the door. So if you would like to purchase a ticket for that event, the Prayer Shawl Ministry uh, Lunch and Fundraiser, uh, please do so today. She'll have a booth set up uh, as you leave the service. Uh, and also next week will be the last week that you'll be able to purchase a ticket. And praise the Lord she will have sold all the seats. Isn't that great? Hallelujah. Also, another mention about the coffee uh, time. It starts promptly at 11.30, and uh, it's over promptly at 11.55, so we can get down to other business. Amen? Amen? Amen. Bless you. Excuse me, I'm sorry. I want to make mention, it it came about this morning at approximately 6 a.m. You all know Sister Michelle Harris. Well, her mother went on to be with the Lord this morning. And so could you please keep Michelle Harris in prayer, her whole family, that God would bring strength at this time and mercy and just comfort them and wash over them at this time. And uh, get in touch with her. You know, send her a text or an email, call her on the phone. Uh, If there's anything you can do for that family, uh, please offer your support. Amen? I'm all turned out 
hurt and abuse. I can't take what's left to do. Truth is I'm weak. No strength to fight. No tears to cry. Even if I try. But still my soul refuses to die. Oh Lord, one touch will change my life. So take me to the King. I don't have much to bring. My heart is torn in pieces. It's my offering.
is over again. It's my offering when I lay in at the throne. Sometimes you gotta be all alone, and sometimes you wanna just gaze on His glory. So He'll give you a song. So let Him take me to the King. Wow. you all but I, I just feel so filled up today how about you well at this point uh, we have a very special thing that's happening in the dedication of young Aiden James Shabazz Harris so I want the family and the friends of Aiden to come on up here right now let's just welcome this family Freedom Church I'm going to ask if the pastoral team could just come on up and just kind of surround this family as well. So glad he looks like mama. Now, you know, there's some, there's some people. I, I, I love these folks right here. I've known Robert and Paul and Joe and even Chris. And I, I've seen these guys grow up. I'm not that much older. I'm only, I'm only one year older than Robert. But I'm saying I've seen, I've seen them grow up and, and as young men of God. I mean, it's, it's amazing when you can watch them through all these phases of life. How many of you all have seen these kids grow up with me? And what a wonderful family. The Bible says, yet it was you who took me from the womb. You kept me safe upon my mother's breast. And on you I was cast from my birth. And since my mother bore me, you have been my God. The birth of a child, as many of us have experienced, is one of the most amazing. It's almost the first time you look back in your life and say, man, that was a miracle. You know when that first baby, you all know what I'm talking about. I was like, what is this? How, did, how did we do this? It's an amazing thing. But what's more amazing is when we watch this child grow and, and overnight, they, you know, I remember when Sophia was like that, about that big, she would always sleep on my chest. And now she's just talking crazy all the time. And they, they grow. And at this point, he's so vulnerable, so dependent upon you all. But he's going to mature and he's going to develop. 
and his spirit is also going to grow. And you all have the tremendous responsibility that God has given you all to raise God formed him. All of his inward parts in your womb. The Bible says that his frame was not hidden from God. He saw his... I'm sorry, you all. I'm sorry. God saw him when he was yet unformed. And in his book, the Bible says his name was written, the days fashioned for him when as yet there were none of them. The Bible tells us that that child belongs to God. And you are entrusted. He, God has entrusted him in your hands. But for a season, parenting at its very best is a calling from God through those few years that we have to love and protect and challenge and release these precious children out into the world. But here's the beauty of it. Rob, Aisha, you don't have to do this alone. If you look around, there's many hearts, there's many hands. I already told you that we will, we will adopt any of your kids you want to give away. Is that okay, Joe? Okay. Especially Aiden. This boy is so cute. We can do one more, boy. It won't be a big of a deal. But within the body of Christ, no parent stands alone. There are many spiritual aunties and uncles and grandparents and great-grandparents in this room. And we're all here to help bear the responsibility of raising this young man to be a man of God. And we're all wondering these questions. Will he grow and have faith in Christ? Will someone somewhere tell this brother the stories about Jesus? And will the word word of the Lord just be lived out by the people around him and all of us that are gathered here today? And will Aiden be encouraged to walk by faith little by little and be forgiven when he falls? And as we heard today, will he be loved through all of the mess that comes along with being a young man? We love you, Robert. And trust me, you've added some headaches to a lot of, uh, we've been praying for you. We're still praying. But you know what, man? We, you, you have an, we have an unconditional love for you both. But we want to see young Aiden come to know Jesus at some point in his life. And church, this is the mission God has called us to in this young man's life. Robert and Aisha, I've, many people here have watched you both grow And you've brought your precious son today before this congregation to consecrate him to the Lord and to dedicate yourselves to the task and the calling of parenting. And so the time has come for you all to make some promises on your part. Will you both pledge to support and love Aiden by providing the opportunity for him to grow up in the family of faith with the hope that he will someday confess Jesus as his own teacher Lord and Savior? If so, say, we will. And will you, to the best of your ability and with God's help, provide a loving environment which he can grow in love, loyalty, and obedience to Jesus? If so, say, we will. And will you encourage him to grow in faith so that he might later be received into the fellowship of the saints through water baptism, which is the outward sign of our faith in Christ, 
fully partaking in the work and the worship of the church. If so, say, we will. And I see some grandparents here. Grandparents, if you're here, just wave. We see you all there. Blessed is the child who has faithful, loving grandparents. Not only do you who stand with this young family today thoroughly enjoy and help nurture this precious child in your own unique way. How many grandparents realize it doesn't end? (laughs) They're still raiding your fridge. I understand it just doesn't end. It's part of your precious way of you raising that child in your own unique way. And you support the parents through this wonder-filled and sometimes frustrating process of parenting. Will you all, as the grandparents, likewise pledge to support, encourage, and love Aiden and his parents through these awesome years to the best of your ability? If so, say, we will. And now I'm going to ask if the congregation would stand with me. Many people realize it takes a church to help raise a child, you know? And so I'm going to ask those who are standing to really consider seriously your responsibility in helping to nurture the faith of young Aiden. And if you accept the call to be a community of faith to Aiden and to his parents, would you respond to this pledge with me? Do you congregation promise with humility and seriousness to share in this child's nurture and well-being, to support by your example and words their efforts to provide a loving and caring home where trust in God grows and Christ's way is chosen? If so, say, we will. I didn't hear everybody. If so, say, we will. And will you pray with them and for them? Will you share your life and witness with this family and help make their tasks both joyful and fruitful? If so, say, we will. Let me see Mr. Mann. It's been a while. After four kids, I should be qualified. Hey, Aiden. Man, this kid is cute. Joanna, start the car. Start the car. No, no, okay. Oh, man. Well, stretch your hands forward. Mm. Lord God. Here in my hands, I have a mighty warrior of the faith. Lord, we hand him to you now in this moment. God, that you would be the king of his life. That he would even at an early age experience the love of the father that only you could show him, God. That you would give him the mind of Christ, God. That he would would have a a sense and a discernment, God, of issues and things going on in the world, God. The generation he grows up in will be so different from the one we live in, God. But I pray that you would prepare the soil. Give him the mind of Christ. Every thought that would exalt itself against the knowledge of who you are, God. Let it be made low in his life, God. 
I thank you, Lord, that he is a sign and a wonder, that he is an arrow being shot out into the world, God, to be a change agent of your power and your glory and the transforming power of Jesus Christ, Lord. Lord, he is your child. Raise him, God, to be a mighty warrior in this day and age, Father. And I thank you, Lord, that you will bless him and keep him and make your face shine upon him. Give him hope and a future, we pray, as the people of God today. In the mighty name of Jesus, let the church say, amen. Well, Aiden, you are now dedicated to the Lord. day in the Lord. Afterwards, come and greet the family. Hug on little Aiden, but lift your hands up one last time. Father, bless your people. Keep them and make your face shine upon them. Give them hope and a future. And Lord, let us be marked by the reality that we love as you loved us. We bless you today in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen. God bless your family. We'll see you next Sunday.